Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. We could not talk or talk forever and still find things to not talk about. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, September 21, 2022, and this is the Bob Seska interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 610 of the Biden-Harris administration, 47 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska, Twitter, BobSeska underscore go, and of course, our Patreon page is BobSeskaShow.com. All right, last week we talked about congressional races with Rachel Biddecoffer, and this week we're talking with Gabby Goldstein about state legislature races. Gabby's the co-founder of Sister District. It's a nonprofit that raises money and awareness for Democratic state ledge campaigns, as Gabby calls them. It's a big effing deal, as Joe Biden calls it, uh, given the harsh reality that many of the most dangerous laws that are being passed right now are being passed at that level of our politics. While liberals, for some reason, it's confounding to me, barely spend any time discussing state races on social media. But today, Gabby's going to tell us how to change all of that, plus how to push back against gerrymandering and which state ledge races we should focus our attention on. Sisterdistrict.com is the website, and you can follow Gabby on Twitter at Gabby underscore Goldstein. Links in the description as always. Meantime, please help support this show by subscribing to our bonus content at BobSeskaShow.com. All right, here's my talk with Gabby Goldstein from Sister District. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. Cold is the ultimate absence, shockingly measurable, though at some point all you feel is void. Hi, Bob, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to have you on the show today, Gabby. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is great. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on, and thank you for for highlighting the importance of states over the over the years. And really excited to chat about the the critical need for us to elect progressives and Dems to state legislatures this year. Yeah, absolutely. This is where conservatives have been focused for years, if not decades, and we've seen the consequences. Of course, we know. Uh, where so many horrible laws are being passed from the big lie voter suppression laws to anti-abortion laws to transphobic, homophobic laws, especially down in Florida. So why don't Democrats pay more attention to this level of our politics, Gabby? 
Yeah, you're, that's exactly right. Republicans have been at this game for decades and decades, really weaponizing state legislatures for mm -hmm. their own regressive policy goals, yep. um, turning turning states into, um, uh, as Jake Grumbach's new book title says, important new book, Laboratories Against Democracy. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I always say, you know, unfortunately, Democrats are tardy to the party when it comes to paying attention. <laughs> To, I love that. Tardy to the that, party. That's perfect. That's yeah. I mean, it's it's um I don't know if your your listeners remember the Real Housewives of Atlanta from circa like 2005 or something. There was um this um uh, uh Real Housewife who had a song called Tardy to the Party. But oh anyway, god, okay. It, digging deep in the vaults there for, <laughs> yeah. for pop culture references. Still works. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, the thing is that so, you know, your question is is really important. Why? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that there has just there has been a, a long overinvestment in federal strategies on the left. Oh, yeah. Right. And so the, it has, it's generational that progressives look to the federal level to protect our civil rights, to um, uh, ensure everyone can vote. And that's great. But we've done it to the exclusion of building state power, too. We really should have been building power at both levels. They're not mutually exclusive. It's not one or the other. Right. But progressives have really seen them as one or the other. And so we're in a situation now where, as you mentioned, I mean, this we have an arch conservative Supreme Court that is really, you know, committed to narrowing federal protections around civil rights and all the rest. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and expanding state power, and we can talk about the upcoming Moore v. Harper case uh, at the court. Um, and, you know, we have these MAGA Republicans in control of so many state legislatures that it's a perfect storm for, you know, and they're hell-bent on subverting our future elections and all the rest. Mm -hmm. and it's really a perfect storm for this uh, situation where states are ascendant and Democrats and progressives are behind the ball in building power at this level. So we're really, you know, unfortunately underprepared for this moment um, in a way that makes us makes it really, really urgent for us to to really double redouble our efforts um, and and get really serious about building sustained power in our states. It's so immensely frustrating, Gabby, because. I noticed that social media posts about state politicians, state level issues, state level races usually get ignored. How do we motivate our side to circulate more and more of these stories and have it all stick to the wall, have the reach of these sorts of posts extend beyond just, uh, you know, a few likes and a couple of uh, retweets if you're lucky? Yeah, we need to understand that state power is just as important as federal power. Um, it's not that one or the other is better or worse. We need both, right? It's these are interdependent systems, and um, and we need to lift up the voices of folks on the ground who are doing the work to elect and hold accountable yeah. our state legislators and state leaders um, and really invest in long-term civic engagement to get Democrats invested in state power and state and local issues. And, and you know, part of it, I think, goes um, along with the erosion of local media in general, right? There's been a, a total cratering uh, in the number of reporters who follow state politics. Mm -hmm. um, 
um, there's just been a tremendous nationalization of politics with the collapse of local media and you know print media and, and digital media. And, um, and that is fuel to the fire of the natural tendency that Democrats have to over-invest and over-focus on, on federal um, issues and strategies. So this is a long-term play, right? We have to we have to really be committed to changing, to flipping the script yeah. and updating our understanding and our, our narrative around um, around states and state power. And it's not just, you know, talking on social media. It's also what we give to and um, and volunteer for. And one thing, um, you know, this it always kind of blows my mind. I, I hate to do it, but I love to do it. So after the FEC reports come out every quarter, um, I always look at how much Democrats in non-competitive federal Senate races have raised. Mm -hmm. And I do that because I really want to keep track of this overinvestment in federal stuff, right, including elections yeah. um, on our side of the aisle. And after Q2, and the Q3 re reports will come out just, you know, in a couple of weeks, but after Q2, Democrats running in non-competitive federal Senate races had already raised over $130 million this year. Wow. Non-competitive races, $130 million versus, versus, hmm. you know, take tw in 2020, the Arizona state legislature, all of the Democrats in that entire program, they raised $5 million, right? We were only two seats away from flipping those chambers, uh, you know, in each chamber. And of course, they this year passed an abortion ban, the Republican legislature passed an abortion ban, all the rest. So that's just an example of the, the ways in which, um, you know, we, we should have an abundance mindset. Um, and, and, you know, we give lots of money, Democrats give lots of money to candidates. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily that but we're giving our giving isn't quite in the right you know most strategic places um and you know and that's part of this reorientation that we all have to be invested in mm -hmm. to really turn our gaze away from just paying attention to the you know the sort of trash fire um <laughs> at the national stage yeah. and and really look in our own backyards about what's going on in our states yeah it's really difficult to i think sometimes break through the gigantic national stories. I think so much of the conversation, which obviously takes place, as I said, on social media, and of course, there's always the gigantic orange elephant in the room that's sucking all the air out of politics. And it's so difficult to get state issues, to get state campaigns through that noise, get, to gain attention for that, to raise money for that. And I think that's one of the reasons why Sister District is, is so important, because that's the hard work that you don't necessarily see if you're like me and spending my entire day on Twitter. So what exactly is it that, what is Sister District doing in order to focus attention on these competitive uh, down-ballot races? So I'm one of our co-founders and we started this organization after the 16 election, which both feels like a very long time ago and <laughs> yeah. also not nearly long enough ago. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we really wanted to focus our attention and our energy on something that might have been overlooked, right? We were like, what is the biggest bang for our buck? What have Democrats missed? And so we came really quickly to understand that it was state legislatures. And, you know, we saw that these were um, 
uh, incredibly important, really overlooked venues of power for Democrats, right? Mm -hmm. Not Republicans. They've been at this game for, for decades, as we said. Um, but at least on our side, these tend to be overlooked, sleepy venues of power where no one's really paying attention. But these are our policy pipelines, right? I mean, you know, Republicans have been masterful at that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, but there's lots of great examples of policies that started in, in one state and moved to another state or moved to the federal stage. These are our leadership pipelines. Half of all members of Congress started in their state legislatures. Half of all presidents started in their state legislatures. Um, you know, these are the places where gerrymandering comes from. It doesn't come from federal Congress. Gerrymandering is a product of state legislatures. Yeah. It's the only place it comes from. Mm. And of course, so many issues that we care about from abortion access to voting rights are coming back to our states from being protected at the federal level. And that's part of a long-term conservative strategy. So we were like, oh my God, all right, let's focus our attention on building power in state legislatures. And it started as, a, a, you know, I met my co-founders on, um, on social media. It started as an idea on a Facebook thread and has grown to over 65,000 volunteers across oh, the country, so yeah. organized into over 150 teams. And each year we choose a set of state legislative candidates in really strategic districts, in strategic states that make a huge difference to us everywhere for, you know, in terms of the fair districts and the policies that we need. And especially, you know, around um, uh, election uh, uh, protection and, and protecting our democracy and talk about that. Um, and then our teams get sistered up like a sister city, but a sister district. So we sister up our teams to a couple of those candidates each year for small dollar fundraising and field support to raise the visibility, to raise the profile and raise needed resources um, for these incredible candidates to help get them over the finish line and, and get into their state legislatures. So which states are sister district targeting specifically this year in terms of competitive legislature and gubernatorial elections? Is there a, you know, a slate of, yeah. because I mean, obviously we've got quite a few state legislature elections coming up. Are there targeted areas that you're particularly focused on this year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so one thing I'll say is that coming out of redistricting, probably your, your listeners know, a uh, bit of a mixed bag for Democrats. Um, uh, yeah. You know, some 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 states uh, uh, have done a better job in this new uh, round of redistricting than others. But far and away, in in my estimation, not just my estimation, but far and away the brightest spot for us coming out of this past redistricting cycle is Michigan, where they had a very, very gerrymandered state legislature. Republicans had gerrymandered to hell and back, sorry for the word, um, that, state that state's legislature. And then just a couple of years ago, the people of Michigan passed a ballot initiative to establish an independent commission to draw their maps instead of the Republicans in the legislature. And lo and behold, this year, they drew some maps that are really, really fair. They're not perfect. No map is ever going to be perfect, but they're really, really fair. And they give Democrats an incredible opportunity to compete for legislative majorities, especially in the Senate, but also in the House. And so 
I think Michigan is um, is the best chance that Democrats have this year to actually flip a chamber or two. Um, and of course, they've got a very, very critical gubernatorial defend, um, you know, Gr Big Gretch, as, as we all uh, affectionately <laughs> call her, um, is up for re-election. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson is up this year. Um, lots of competitive congressional seats as well. So this is a I would say that Michigan is a is an electoral battleground, but it's also a democracy battleground, right? Yeah, Especially yeah. when you look at that 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 critical gubernatorial um, race. You know, I think that there are really great opportunities for Democrats um, this year to pick up seats in the Pennsylvania House. Um, and, you know, very, very critical open gubernatorial election this year. I don't know if you your 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 listeners have been following along at home. Oh, about yeah. The absolute insanity going on <laughs> on the Republican side. Mastriano. Their, yeah. Oh, my God. Who, by the way, of course, was a, a, a Republican state senator. Now, again, that pipeline in action, that leadership pipeline, mm -hmm. very strong on the on the um, right. Although I will say Gretchen Whitmer was also a state legislator. Um, but, you know, Pennsylvania is a really, really critical um, state. Of course, there's that open Senate flip as well. Um, and, you know, one thing that folks may not know about Pennsylvania uh, is that unlike most states, in Pennsylvania, the governor actually appoints the secretary of state. Um, the secretary of state is not an elected position yes. in Pennsylvania. So mm -hmm. it's a bit of a two for one in Pennsylvania. We really, really need to get that open gubernatorial seat. But it's not just important for the for the governor. That governor will appoint the next secretary of state, which, of course, will have a huge set of implications for the 2024 election. Mm -hmm. um, so Pennsylvania, Michigan, really strong um, opportunities. The last thing I would say um well, two things. One is um, I think Wisconsin is a really important state for folks to keep on their radar, not because we have the chance to flip the chambers and we don't have the chance to flip the chambers because the new maps in Wisconsin are even worse than the old maps in terms of gerrymandering. They're mm -hmm. even worse. Jeez. What we're worried about in Wisconsin is falling into a super minority. So Democrats are just a couple of seats away in the Senate and the House. House, just a few seats away from falling into a super minority. What, what is that? Is that, mean, is that 40% yeah. or like 40% of the seats or less? Is that what that is? Different states categorize it a, a little bit differently. Okay. But what it means is that there wouldn't be enough Democrats, assuming we hold on to the, the governor's uh, seat, which is very critical that we do that in Wisconsin. Um, even if we do, if we fall into super minority, uh, you know, there could be a, a, veto, a veto override, essentially, where the, right. the, the Republicans would be able to pass whatever they want without any veto by the governor. So <sighs> really, really important to watch Wisconsin and make sure that we don't lose further ground in those in those um, chambers this year is the momentum toward the Democrats trickling down to the state level we're seeing it obviously at the national level with the congressional polls but are we seeing it at the state level are those numbers translating over to the so-called down ballot races yeah I mean this is a really important point and I know you've written you've you've written for salon and uh, I had an op-ed in salon a couple of weeks ago about this um about this exact point which is that that the momentum it's clear Democrats have momentum at the national level yeah it will not necessarily or magically flow down ballot without a lot of effort on our part mm -hmm. and part of that is because of ballot roll-off we have 
have a big report on this coming out in uh, uh, in, a, in a week or two, um, showing that Democrats struggle with ballot roll off much, much more than Republicans do. And roll off, just in case folks aren't aware, is when someone goes in and they vote for president. Um, or they vote for governor, but they don't vote all the way down their ballot. They roll off their ballot and leave the bottom of it unfinished, um, including at the state legislative level. And we see this all all across the board um, in all the battleground states that we've looked at. Um, you know, we looked at this in 2020 and we saw that pattern for Democrats, much, much um, larger pattern than for Republicans. And 2021 last year in Virginia was another example of this, just as an example. So we Democrats lost the House in Virginia by 750 votes, tiny votes. Oh I mean, tiny God. margin yeah, out, of, yeah. out of three million votes. We lost the House by 750 votes. But there were 60,000 people who voted for our gubernatorial candidate, Terry McAuliffe, 60,000 more people voted for Terry than for Democrats running for state ledge, 60,000 people more. Good and God. so, you know, we lost by 750 votes. So it's not necessarily the case at all that this momentum that, that that Democrats have at the top of the ballot will translate into anything for 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 Democrats running for state ledge, which means we have to fight really, really hard at the state ledge level. We have to combat that roll off mm-hmm. um, that we see year in and year out on the Democratic side. And I think part of that is building this, you know, as we were talking before, this uh, we need to build an emotional connection to to, to state power, right? We need to help people understand, help our voters understand, because Republicans certainly understand they're voting all the way down the ballot very consistently. Um, but we need our people, our folks to understand why they need to vote all the way down to state ledge um, and why that will result in better outcomes for them and their families and 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 why building state power will will make their lives better. Um, and that requires, again, this long term commitment that I think we, we all need to have around shifting the narrative um, to embrace building state power as a really, really important part of, you know, the Democratic project. All right, let's take a second here to talk about the after party. Every Friday, Kimberly Johnson and I record a fourth Bob Seska Show podcast for the week. But this one's totally different than the usual Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shows. The Friday After Party podcast is loaded with all the politics you want, while also including uncensored, completely obscene conversations about sex, drugs, movies, television, our personal lives, all the stuff we can't get away with on the free show. So please help support this podcast by subscribing to our Friday After Party for just $10 a month. And bonus, you're also going to get two Shadow Docket shows every week included in that level of support. That's bobseskashow.com or just click the all caps Patreon link beneath the logo at bobseska.com. And we thank you. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Bob Seska. Historically speaking, how did the Republicans manage to get where they are at the state level? What was their strategy? How do they prevent, on their side, that same kind of roll-off? And can we borrow it, please? <laughs> can we? Yeah. Can we do the same totally. thing? Totally. So, I mean, I think from a political philosophy perspective, right, to, to bring it out to like a fifty thousand foot level, I think that structures follow ideas, mm-hmm. and on the right. The idea of state power is baked directly into their political philosophy, oh, right? Yeah. You can yeah. you can call it states' rights. You can look back to you know the the um, uh, the the recalcitrance around <laughs> Reconstruction <laughs> in the South, right? Uh, Conservative-aligned Americans have uh, a very deep-seated connection to the idea of state power, and um, and that has has bolstered their efforts to institution build, right, to create the structures that would be required to maintain and expand state power over centuries. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't from yesterday. This yeah. is, we're talking hundreds of years here. Um, and, you know, just to put the, the finer point on it, like, you know, de- progressives do not have that deep uh, um, uh, ideological connection to state power. Sure. So I think that part of it goes back a really long way. There's a, then, of course, just the the realities of the, the 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 mechanics of how they've built this power. I think one thing to keep in mind is that conservatives over the past century, and Jane Mayer wrote an amazing book on this called Dark Money. If folks mm-hmm. haven't read it, couldn't yeah. recommend it more. Um, but they have really, they've never seen state or federal power building as mutually exclusive. They've always done both, right? So it's, it's um, and we have not. Yeah. So these are two two differences already. We have the ideological difference. They, they have a connection to state power. We don't. Um, two is that they've always um, sought to build institutions of power and, and pursue power at both at all levels of government. And we haven't. Um, and then the third is like even more uh, recently, what have they done to that has resulted in this exact moment? And, you know, to, to name another great book great friend of the organization, Dave Daly, wrote a book called Rat Fucked, which was about the 2010 redistricting cycle and the ways in which Republicans and their allies saw this tremendous opportunity, um, you know, during during the first Obama administration, where Obama was very popular and heading into the midterms, what could they do? What, 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 how could they, um, you know, what, what could Republicans do to capture power? And they realized, oh my gosh, let's take over all the state legislatures in 2010. And then when redistricting happens in 2011, we'll be able to run the board. Right. And they did it. And and this book, Rat Fucked, sorry for the language, goes into really <laughs> great, you know, um, 
vivid detail about how they how they engineered uh, the, these outcomes so that they could control the next round of redistricting. So now we just went through this next round of you know this most latest round of redistricting, and it, we were already you know laboring under these terrible maps from 2010. Mm -hmm. So that's how you end up in places like Wisconsin, which had. Um, Every year, well, every few years, Harvard um, does a, a study of different um, the the levels of democracy in different uh, jurisdictions, and basically, Wisconsin under their last maps um, was at the basically the bottom of the list mm -hmm. uh, internationally, internationally as far as a functional democracy, and their maps are worse now. They're even worse Ugh. than they were in the last round. Yeah. So, um, so that's how, so, you know, that's sort of from, from 50,000 foot down to the, to where we are now. Um, I think a few ways to think about how conservatives have built this state machinery in a way that puts us at a significant disadvantage. Right. And there's also, I think a demographic aspect to this too, Gabby, and, and, and maybe you can speak to this. It's, it's much more simplistic explanation than what you just said, but I think a lot of older voters tend to vote Republican and older voters also tend to turn out during primary elections, during off-year elections, the elections that occur on the odd-numbered years as opposed to the big, giant, marquee presidential and midterm elections. And I think sometimes that ends up driving uh, more Republicans to state legislatures than Democrats just because there is that demographic advantage, so to speak. Is that still a thing or is that just kind of simplistic thinking uh, along those lines? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always demographics at play in various ways. I think it's hard to um, to generalize um, about about groups of, of voters, um, although, you know, there are there there are shifts generational shifts and all mm. the rest. And I think that in part, that's what is, you know, that's what drives a lot of optimism about um, particularly the, you know, the South, for instance, yeah. um, places like Georgia and Texas um, is, uh, you know, are these demographic shifts where there are um, more young people moving in, uh, more, you know, more more folks who who probably agree with us on, um, on a lot of the issues um, already. And so, you know, for Forecasting into the future, um, it, it makes places like Texas and Georgia look really exciting and promising. Um, of course, you can't outvote gerrymandering and voter mm -hmm. suppression. You yeah. can't do it, yeah. right? Um, and and unfortunately, those are two places where um, where there's quite a bit of both. Um, but nonetheless, you know, I think that. Um, from a generational perspective, I think it's very clear that younger people, um, younger voters in this country are um, are really motivated around issues, um, not so much around parties, right? I think, you know, increasingly young people are unaffiliated um, with either party. Um, they're either registered as independents or, um, or just, you know, registered as unaffiliated. Um, so they're not necessarily, you know, flocking to a political party, but they're very motivated around issues particularly climate change, gun safety, abortion, um, trans and LGBTQ rights. Um, and so those are real opportunities for, for Democrats to make their um, positions on these issues really clear to younger voters um, and, and show, prove, because we always have to prove ourselves to voters, which we should, right? We should never just count on a voter to, to vote for us, um, but really show, show young 
young voters in particular, um, that we care and that we have a plan to address the issues that matter most to them. Uh, this question, I think, uh, Gabby, is a little bit out of left field, but I, I want to ask it anyway, because this there's a, a sort of a conundrum that we face with the issue of gerrymandering. So, And that conundrum is, do we fight fire with fire while the republicans are actively gerrymandering do we assert more pressure on democratic efforts to gerrymander or do we try to find a way to eliminate gerrymandering as a thing entirely or do we combine both of those strategies into one unified approach uh how do we go about that and is that something that sister district gets involved in at all or is that just sort of a a a side issue that you'd rather be more focused on just the races rather than you know the impediments to those races yeah, I mean, look, I think if we're serious about democracy, which we should be, um, the, the goal should be to eliminate gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. And um, But I think that the challenge, and we've seen this in a variety of places, um, is that not all, not all um, reforms are equal. Yeah. And even ones that might sound good on paper don't, you know, the devil's in the details and implementation is critical. And so, you know, as an example, uh, well, I mean, where to start, but I think Arizona (laughs) is a useful case, right? Um, Where, you know, they have a titularly independent commission, but in reality, it's not so independent, right? Mm -hmm. In reality, it's, um, it's been infected and tainted by partisanship, particularly Republican partisanship um, in, in, you know, throughout its, its, history. Um, and then you have, a, a, so so even if it's called an independent commission, um, the devil is really in the details. Then you have something like Michigan, um, which also passed by ballot initiative, uh, as, as it did in Arizona, and was established by ballot initiative, and has really implemented a, 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 an actually independent process, um, which resulted in, in maps that, although not perfect, are so much, I mean, it's night and day, night and day Mm -hmm. compared to um, the Republican gerrymandered maps um, from the prior decades. And so I think that, you know, these sorts of uh, reforms, you know, another example, and we don't have to get into it, but is Virginia, um, where there was a a set of reforms put into place that ended up, um, uh, the the outcome, you know, didn't really match expectations, let's just say. Um, And so, you know, there's been a variety of those. And so it's not, it's not enough to just slap an independent in front of your commission's name. Mm-hmm. And it's not enough to just take the hand, take the reins out of the, the legislature. Um, uh, you know, it's it really it really depends on the details of the reform to make sure that we're taking partisanship out of the process to take, you know, take the politics out to ensure that that people are choosing their politicians and not the other way around. Are state Senate districts uh, gerrymandered? What is the uh, process for drawing districts on the state Senate side? Or is that more like the United States Senate where gerrymandering just has no bearing on it? Yeah, great question. So it's not like the the federal Senate system. It's um, really the same process for the Senate and the House in every state. Okay. So whatever process is used for drawing the House lines, uh, the the state House lines, is the same process that's used for drawing the state Senate lines. Gotcha. And there are lots of them that are extremely gerrymandered. I mean, in Wisconsin, just to go back, um, there are almost no competitive seats in the entire Senate, um, maybe two. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, out, out of the entire Senate because of Republican gerrymandering. Um, and that's that's a chamber where we're in uh, real, real danger of falling into a super minority um, in, in the Wisconsin Senate. You know, the Georgia Senate and the Pennsylvania Senate, I would say, both of those are uh, Senates uh, in, that are uh, where the maps are not drawn fairly. Um, and the House, the House maps in both of those states are drawn a bit more fairly. So as I mentioned before, I think we have some really nice opportunities in the Pennsylvania House this year to pick up some seats and build power and, and work towards flipping that chamber this, you know, over the next couple cycles. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case in the Senate. Senate is a harder road to hoe, so to speak, in, in Pennsylvania. Um, and the same is true in Georgia, where I think we have some great opportunities to, to, to pick up some seats this year in the Georgia House. Um, unfortunately, not, not likely the case in the Georgia Senate. How do you convince Republicans to give up gerrymandering? How do we do this? How do we convince people who use gerrymandering as a weapon to put down their weapons? Yeah. Well, I'm sure we all love that Frederick Douglass quote, right? Power concedes nothing. Mm-hmm. Um power concedes nothing without a demand, right? right? And I think that that's that's exactly right. And um, you know, I think that uh, asking asking Republicans to concede their power without you know without a demand or you know without being required to do so is is a tall order yeah. um so you know one approach is what Arizona and in Michigan have done which is to get the um get the the demand for an independent commission onto the ballot through ballot initiative the yeah. citizen ballot initiative where you know you get enough signatures from from voters from the state and you submit them to the state and then it has to be on the ballot mm-hmm. um, and then everybody in the state can vote for it um you know there has been a concerted effort among Repu- in republican controlled states to limit the ability for citizens to get initiatives onto their ballots um, on purpose because they know that they're uh, they're they're unlikely to to like the outcome um, of uh, of ballot initiatives um, that are not aligned with Repo- the the mainstream Republican platform, which is extru- you know anti democracy and um, and pro gerrymandering. So that's one piece is is um, is through ballot initiative, and and then the other that I would say is that I don't think we should um, lose hope for a federal uh, for federal legislation that would re- you know essentially eliminate gerrymandering and require states to have independent commissions. Um, certainly, that's been um, before the federal Congress in the past session or so, mm-hmm. um, but unfortunately has not been uh, able to move forward. Which I mean, the fact that voting and the fact that voting you know the John Lewis Act and all the rest um, wasn't able to pass is just an absolute um, oh, yeah. uh, you know, it's absolutely devastating, mm-hmm. absolutely devastating, and will have re- repercussions for for many, many years to come. Um, but in any case, so those are two things. And you know, the thing, the last thing I'd say about ballot initiative is um, it, they're so cool because yes. Yes. a lot of these states that you think of as, you know, red states uh, where, you know, where where people are just so conservative and all the rest, it's not necessarily the case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of states are laboring under the, you know, the, the, the pressure uh, of having these Republican leaders that don't represent their interests. One example that I would leave your... Um, 
your your listeners with on that is Mississippi, a state that I absolutely adore. Um, people, you know, people say all kinds of things about Mississippi. Spend some time here. You know, don't try try to say that after you know spending some real time in Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful place. Wonderful place. Um, that is, you know, that that has the public has an imagination about Mississippi that is not aligned with Mississippians. And one example is that um, you know conservatives put on to uh, by ballot initiative in Mississippi, um, a personhood uh, uh, um, uh, provision to to define personhood as, as starting at conception, basically, you know, a few years ago in Mississippi, thinking that the state, you know, to, to get a, essentially an abortion ban, right, and and to to establish rights for, you know, for, for starting at conception, all the rest. That went down in Mississippi. People didn't vote for it. They didn't like that. That's not what they wanted. Yeah. Um, and it's one example of so many that when you actually let people vote on and express what they actually believe and what they want in terms of the policies for their states, it's not, um, it, it can be a very a clear expression um, that is a much clearer signal of people's preferences than who controls their state chambers, which is off, often just a reflection of gerrymandering and mm -hmm. voters, voter suppression. Yeah, there are three big issues that can be tackled with ballot initiatives. We already seen it work with uh, abortion rights. And it seems like that issue, gerrymandering and gun control, these are three issues that enjoy massive support. Most Americans are pro-choice. Most Americans are opposed to gerrymandering. Most Americans want reasonable gun reforms. And I think ballot initiatives, even as you were saying, in those deep, deep red states, could actually turn things around by entirely circumventing the legislative process. Is uh, pushing ballot measures like that, is that something that Sister District gets involved in? Or is that sort of a, like almost like a side gig for you guys as far as uh, uh, promoting yeah. those things? We do not. We do not get involved in ballot initiatives, although many of our candidates are fiercely uh, are involved fiercely and deeply with ballot initiatives. And one example just this year is in Michigan. Um, they have a ballot initiative uh, around abortion to be able to put abortion, uh, you know, to be able to to um, maintain abortion access and, and make sure that that's the law of the land in Michigan, mm -hmm. um, just as they used the ballot initiative process to establish their fair districts their, through their independent commission. And so, um, you know, when that, in, when, by the way, when that um, initiative around the independent commission was going around, many of our candidates in Michigan were fierce, fierce proponents, right? They yeah. desperately want, you know, they're, they're Michiganders too. Um, they want that. And so, you know, they were out there collecting signatures and, and talking about the initiative and the same is true this year for, for abortion. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, elected leaders, um, especially state legislators, we saw this during COVID a lot. Um, people are eager and hungry to have trusted sources of information. And especially with politics being so nationalized in the media, um, state legislators and local officials have a really special opportunity to be that trusted resource to their constituents. And during COVID, that was certainly the case with state legislators um, helping folks in their districts know where they could apply for, um, you know, PPP loans or uh, PPP funds or where they could um, get vaccinated or whatever it was. Um, and and so the same is true around things like ballot initiatives and, thing, and things that are on the ballot is 
our candidates and, and state legislators are trusted sources of information um, to help their folks know um, what they should be voting for and, and why um, ballot initiatives uh, might be good or, or not so good for, um, you know, for making their lives better. All right, hold it. Don't nobody move. One more break back after these words. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Bob Seska plays more music. Are you seeing a spike in voter registrations? Because we've been hearing a lot about the, uh, the huge increase in especially women voters or new women voters since the Dobbs decision was handed down earlier this year. And if you are seeing that spike in voter registrations, do you think it's being reflected in the polling? Because that's the question I always have every time I see whatever Nate Silver's forecast. I'm wondering if they're reflecting that increase in voter registration. So are you seeing that uh, voter registration spike happening? And do you foresee that actually translating into uh, maybe a much better outcome than some of the polls are forecasting? Well, so a couple things. So Tom, who's the CEO of Target Smart, had a great um, New York Times opinion piece a couple weeks ago um, talking about this exact issue, women um, uh, registering to vote in in tremendous numbers post-op. So that's clearly the case, and um, and that's great. Now, you know, um, not all of those women are Democrats, although I think a lot of them are, right? And I think that that um, piece uh, provides some some data there. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so, you know, that, that's the case. Um, what what that has to do with polls? I you know here's what I would say about polls. Polls are crazy making, um, and at the end of <laughs> the day, you. they're totally crazy making. Yes, and 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 what people you know sort of the. I, I think a way to think about it is, um, regardless of the margin uh, on a poll, uh, they're they're going to tell you the same thing, which is that these are going to be close races. The races that are close are going to be close races, and it doesn't really matter what the polls say. Um, what matters now is action, right? How many voters are you going to be able to talk to? How many people can you persuade to to come and vote and or to come and vote for your candidate. That's the stuff that matters now. Following the polls um, and sort of the machinations of the pollsters um, is not particularly useful. No. That said, um, you know, I think that uh, polls uh, clearly over the past few cycles have over um, estimated Democratic support often, mm -hmm. um, not always. Um, that's something to keep in mind. Uh, maybe, you know, I think more so in when Trump is on the ballot than when he hasn't been on the ballot. Um, but the last thing I'll say is that, um, you know, I care about state ledge and, um, it, you know, of course I care about all, all <laughs> levels of the ballot, but I, I'm most committed 
to state legislatures and building power there. And um, and so, you know, the poll and, and polling there um, is is a, a little bit of a different affair. Um, but I think that the the outcome is the same, which is that regardless of these regardless of the margin is it is someone up three points are they up you know are they up six points it doesn't matter these are going to be close races and it doesn't it doesn't matter what the polls are on september 21st what matters is how much in energy and how many voters we can touch between now and november 8th um to 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 come out and vote for our people mm -hmm. um that's that's honestly the only thing that matters and if people um spent a little bit less time uh thinking about polling and a little bit more time knocking on some <laughs> doors and making some phone calls um it would you know the outcomes would be a lot better for us you just made many of my listeners very very happy by saying that um I, one last thing for you gabby and this has been an ongoing issue on the democratic side and that is growing youth voter participation. Seems like if we figure out that problem, we can solve many other problems. What is the uh, outlook uh, from a state legislature perspective in terms of uh, youth voter turnout uh, in the upcoming election? Do you see any sort of movement along those lines? I mean, uh, I think that it's going to be, we're going to have to fight for every vote. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's really important for for candidates at every level to understand that young voters are not motivated around party. They are motivated around issues. Yeah. And and they're very pragmatic. They're, they're um, tremendous um uh, tremendously good at filtering information. I mean, they are natives, right? Like they are dig true digital natives. Um, very hard to to pull one over on them. They are they are extreme. They have been conditioned since birth to uh, to to be um, to understand authenticity in a mm -hmm. way that no generation ever has before, right? They they have grown up with with. Um, a need to filter authentic from inauthentic content, people, ideas. Um, and, and so all of that's really, really important for, for the party, but also for candidates to, um, to understand and be um, building programs, voter outreach programs in a way that is authentic and that speaks to issues and connects the dots for young voters between the issues they care about and what the candidate is actually going to do about it. Um, so I think that that's the key. And, um, and you know, I think that at least at the federal level, I think some of, you know, in terms of turnout generally for young people, I mean, I think um, the Inflation Reduction Act and all of the climate change uh, pieces in there will uh, uh, you know, to the extent that that people know about it, um, I think is is helpful. I think that the the student loan forgiveness program is is somewhat helpful. So you know that stuff is good, but at the end of the day, um, nothing beats an authentic candidate telling a young voter why, how they're going to help uh, the climate crisis, how they're going to help expand LGBTQ rights, um, how they're going to get guns out of schools. Um, that's that's the thing. Those are the things that that young people care about, and um, and we need to we need to be building our our programs in that direction, not just to get those votes, because but because it's the right thing these are the right things yeah, right yeah, the young people yeah. the youth they care about the right things um we just have to 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 get that message to them in an authentic way does uh sister district 
do any outreach as far as educating voters about how state politics works in general? Because I think there's a lot of confusion. Like, for example, I see this a lot of times when uh, something legal happens to Donald Trump. Uh, For example, today, Letitia James uh, said that she's referring uh, to the Southern District of New York, some of these charges against Donald Trump. And I think there was some confusion. People on Twitter and elsewhere were going, well, is that state, local? What is SDNY? Is that Department of Justice? I don't understand. So is there some effort to educate voters as far as uh, how uh, state legislatures are constructed, how to find your particular representatives and state senators, uh, how best to, obviously with uh, Sister District, there's a a fundraising tool there, right, where you can uh, participate through the website. But is there something that will help people to understand what it is exactly that they're supporting? Totally. And I think that's a great point. And, um, you know, it's all of us are so overwhelmed with the minutia of our lives <laughs> yeah. that understand like it's not it's these are not dumb questions or or or, or like dumb things that we should know. Mm-hmm. You know, th- these are really important pieces of civic engagement and civic education that like many of us just don't know. Like I never learned about I grew up in California and I never learned about my state legislature in my entire public school education. Never. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that I think that that's that's critically important. We have a few civic engagement and public education programs. One that I would flag for folks is a partnership that we have with Vote Save America and Crooked Media. The um, you know, they they produce the Pod Save America podcast. Oh, right, that. right. Yeah. We have um we have a, a program called the State Power Series, which is a series of um virtual conversations, panels that I co-moderate um with uh with with elected officials, with um uh, crooked media uh, hosts with uh, candidates and and scholars and all kinds of folks to talk about these issues uh, and learn about the importance of states, the power of states, what what they're doing, why it's ma- why it matters, all the rest. So I would encourage folks to sign up for our state power series and come and learn um, in a fun in a fun way uh, about states and and all the rest. And the other thing I'd say is just um, you know sign up for Sister District. If you come to our website sisterdistrict.com, uh, you'll be uh, given the opportunity to sign up for our newsletter. And, um, you know, you can join your local team and we'd love that. Um, that's uh, That automatically happens when you sign up, but you'll also just be added to our, our uh, newsletter where we share updates and information about state ledge and policies that are coming through our state legislatures and Wonderful. ways to get involved in all of that. So um, I, those are two great resources um, to, to just sort of, you know, learn a little bit. And I always say, you don't have to just be become a state legislative expert or, or, you know, activist, just add it in to the other stuff you're doing, the portfolio of volunteering and learning that you, that, you know, we're all doing, Mm -hmm. Um, just add state ledge in a little bit. will go a really long way at this level of the ballot. Absolutely. The website again is sisterdistrict.com bookmark it, send it to all your friends, Uh, make sure to share it on social media, on your Facebook and so on. Please keep going with Sister District. This is such an important uh, aspect of politics that gets so often ignored and calling more attention to it, especially given the legislative atrocities that are happening at that level of our politics. It is so crucial now more than ever. Thank you so much, Bob. A pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much, Gabby. Take care. Cold is the ultimate absence, shockingly measurable, though at some point all you feel is void. 
find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader